and we are doing season one, episode 15, do's and don'ts of selling your house. Welcome to Get Real. My name is Josh Morgan, a.k.a. The Renovating Realtor. And I'm Gavin Townsend, longtime real estate investor with a background in education in the arts turned licensed sale professional. We're two realtors in the western New York area who love talking all things real estate. We cover a wide variety of topics with an aim to educate and entertain you. No matter your role as a buyer, seller, investor, enthusiast, or another real estate professional. You can trust that we're always going to be upfront and honest no matter what topic we're discussing. So listen up and get ready to, to get, get real. Gavin. There's a lot of stuff you shouldn't do, right? Yes, that's very true. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff you should do. That's right as well, especially, you know, yes, it's still very much a seller's market. I wouldn't call it the seller's market on steroids or the super seller's market on steroids that was a year and a half to two years ago. But yeah, but it's still, still very really, much really, really competitive. For buyers. For buyers, yeah. And I think that we've had a tough time explaining that to buyers, too, because it's they're getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. And just a little update on our area of the woods here. Um, people aren't putting their houses on the market, as we've seen in you know, seasonally or cyclically, yep. as we say in the, in the, in the industry. So spring is usually listing season and people put their homes for sale because no one wants to move in the winter. That's right. And, but we just haven't seen that. And I think one of the reasons for that is just that people with lower interest rates are wanting to hold on to that. They don't want to flip into another mortgage at a, you know, almost double that rate. Right. If they and, bought in the last couple of years and they had that great rate, how are they going to then, they might still get great money for their current home, mm-hmm. but then they're trading up to what? They're losing. Yeah. And well, it takes rate. more buying power to trade up. Right. And so you're either going to make a lateral switch or a lateral change because of, you know, what is it? One of the three D's. Yeah. Divorce, or, diapers, death. Yeah. Or we, you know, lifestyle changes, buying, selling out of necessity. Yeah. And I think that's more maybe what we're seeing, right? Is people selling out of necessity. Yes. Right. You are, and you're seeing people, a lot of that's still occurring in what I'm witnessing. You've got people that are downsizing or right sizing. They're leaving out of state. They're leaving out of area. Um, you still have people moving into New York state as much as everybody wants to say everyone's leaving the state. If that was the case, we'd have a lot more inventory Sure. because as many people are coming in and moving up and out and all those things. So you do have a lot of that migration going on. Um, I think that again, like you said, Josh, it's more about why can't we shake loose a little bit more inventory here because people are not going, maybe they don't have a ton of equity in their house right now because they bought during those super low interest rates. Yeah. And I think in one of our past episodes, we said, you have to own your house for you know seven to seven to ten years before you're not upside right. upside down and in, in, right. when you include the selling costs right. even though the home may have depreciated due to you know inventory constraints you still have additional costs in selling that you know put that number to, yeah. a, to a minimum to make it make sense that you're not upside down for sure so I think there's that I think a lot of people are saying okay well you know what the devil I know is better than the devil I don't yep 
So I can stay in this house because maybe it checks boxes for me still in regards to community, vicinity to work, family, all that. But maybe now I'm going to do a significant renovation or maybe I'm going to outfit this with an addition because although we know that the cost of construction, the availability of contractors is still challenging, I'm seeing more new builds all of a sudden. I'm seeing renovations. I'm seeing people take that route, whereas for a few years, that's not at all where people were going. Right. You couldn't. And new starts, you know, new home starts were declining because of, you know, I know personally someone had said they were going to start a new home and the lumber package alone went up $60,000. And they were like, no, that's not feasible. I can't do that. Um, I don't, I didn't, I didn't get a, I didn't get a raise. So I can't, I can't. So the cost of materials. And so you're, then you're kind of value engineering things. And maybe then you decide they're like, okay, well then I'm not really getting what I want. The whole idea of like building my new house was to be able to do whatever. But if I'm in a house right now where I like my house. I want to love my house. Maybe I can do that with the funds and the situation I'm in. So I'm seeing people stay put. So I think for all those reasons, we're still seeing um, a seller's market due to inventory and due to their the inability or desire for those current owners to shake loose of inventory uh, to make more homes available for buyers. Yeah, and so but for those who choose to sell their homes, there's really. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to make your home more appealing to people, to buyers. Um, you know, even though in this current market, it's kind of easy. You know, you're seeing people, well, I am, you know, seeing people maybe put some less effort into their listings. And I can't stand that, but... I know it bothers you when I say that and <laughs> your eyes just go, oh, you know. It, well, because I understand it. You know, I know what you're saying, Josh, and I get it too. When we're working with sellers, you know, we know that it's a stressful and time-consuming process. Mm-hmm. And so when you're going in a lot of... You're seeing more than you did before too. I think this is another difference. We saw a lot of vacant homes before in that super sellers on steroids market, you know, from years ago. It's still a seller's market, but you're seeing more owner-occupied homes, so the seller's still living in the home, and therefore it's not a museum. Right. They're living there. You yeah. know, dig, life goes on. They've got pets. They've got family members there. They're living at home. They're working from home. So when I go in, and I'm not telling them to reinvent the house to get it sold, but you got to clean it. It's got to be pristine if there's, you know, smudges and things like that. Just little fix-it things. Put yourself in the shoes of the buyer. It should look its very best it can. While it's not a museum, it should look its very best. Yeah, I think there's a fine line. What do we say? We want to, you, you wanted to make... You want to make it look like it's someone's living there, but you don't want to make it look lived in. Right. And you know sometimes that's confusing to people, and they're like, "Well, what do you what do you mean?" And it's just like it should just be impeccably clean, you know. And impeccably. That, and that might not be your your everyday. I don't think it's anybody's standard of living every day. You come in your house, you go out of your house, you run, you have schedules, you leave things on your coffee table, right. you leave things on your on your dining room table, and at the end of the week, those things pile up, and then you're like, oh, "We got to do a we got to clean the." You know, right. we need to clean our house this week. But until you're under contract, you know, that shouldn't be how you're keeping your home. Yeah. And it's not about just putting the for sale sign in the front yard and calling it a day. So we've got five things and five mistakes that we think, you know, that we're seeing sellers make. And we've kind of dived into one already. So we might as well expand on that. Josh is, you know, not preparing your home for sale. Yeah. It's really important because curb appeal, exterior appeal and interior appeal are really important. And especially in your photos. And that's what makes people want to come to your home. Absolutely. You know, you've, you've, 
you've illustrated or, you know, given a little bit of a preview enough so that maybe it leaves them asking some more questions and just curious enough to where they say, I need to schedule an appointment to see what this is all about. That's right. And so that's really the goal is... And how, how often do you hear, Josh, when you're working with buyers and so they've seen the photos and the photos are beautiful, you know, and the photo's not necessarily going to capture that little nitty gritty dust behind the door right. during photos, but before showings occur, we want that removed. But how many times do you do showings with buyers, Josh, and you show up to the house and they say, oh, it's not at all like the photos. I've gone in a house like that myself <laughs> for my personal, for personal yeah. use. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, whoa, what's yeah. going on here? Yeah. And you know, it looked really good from the photos. They kind of put maybe maybe too much of a filter on, yeah. and you know, it kind of glazed over the imperfections. Yeah, and that's our job. We're marketers. Don't is. blame don't blame the photographers and don't blame the real estate agents. We're inviting you and getting you in there to see the home sellers. That is what we do. We are marketers, but it should reflect in some way, shape, or form the condition that it does in the photos. Yeah, and when you but when you bring people in and fall under false pretenses like that, it can actually damage it because you're not representing it accurately and so then it can totally turn them off because when you're not accurately representing a room and you can't see those details and when you go into a house and it looks like just a contractor's leftover special right I'm gonna call it the I'm I'm not saying anything (laughs) specifically there's no home specifically that I'm calling that but you know it's a, a contractor redid this home flipped it and then whatever he had left over in his trailer is what he put sure. into the home we have mismatched <laughs> we, can see. we yeah. have mismatched cabinets the, yeah. the the countertops are you know of lower quality the trims don't match at all in other sure. rooms sure. you know those details but you didn't see those in the photos or they weren't evident and if that's the route you're going sellers then it has to be reflected in the price or at least you should expect that that's going to be the feedback you receive sure. and we're going to get into price and all that in just a second because that really is the aim number one, but we're, we're on condition. But a lot of times when we're working with sellers, they say, well, come on over and check this out. What should I do? Where do I begin? Yeah. The, the three cardinal rules, decluttering, staging, and we'll talk about that. I'm not saying you have to move everything out of your house and bring somebody in there with it, like an interior designer with a completely different house, but staging, light staging, we'll talk about that and making any necessary repairs, get it done. And that means change the light bulb that is broken and hasn't been, you know, it works. You don't, I've been using this for five years and I've never, okay, well, somebody else is going to care because if they walk into the house and turn the light on and it's just a matter truly, is it an electrical issue or is it a light bulb? Then they start to think about, okay, what's the care? of this home. What else is wrong? You give them an inch, they're going to take a yard. It's like that little string on the sweater that you start pulling and they're going to start pulling it for you. And then the whole and, thing unravels. And they're going to knock down your house. When, And God's honest truth is probably a great house, but don't give them those signals. Don't have, you know, it's got to be immaculately clean. Clean all the windows, clean the light fixtures, any surfaces. Get rid, There shouldn't be anything on surfaces, you know. I go through homes all the time. Personal photos, put them away. If they're on the wall, I get this question a lot. What if they're on the wall and I remove those photos? And what I'm talking about is personal photos. Photos of people, of you, um, if your family members. Number one, it's a safety and a privacy issue, guys. If you weren't going to say that, I was going to say that in the next one. Yeah, safety and privacy, too. Yeah, get get rid of it. If it's it's a bunch of your beautiful photos of your beautiful family on your um, cabinet or your coffee table, it's a matter of putting that all in a book or in a box, great. If it's stuff that you have hanging on the wall that's part of your decor and you're concerned that you're going to take that down and then have holes and stuff going on, no problem. 
tissue paper. <laughs> okay. Take the tissue paper, hang it over, be delicate, do whatever. Is it going to look a little funky that you've got some photos that have some white paper hanging on them? Yes, but do you want to go through the, the construction and deconstruction of taking all that down and repairing things and finding another piece of artwork to put up? Again, when you're in a crunch, depending on what your time frame is, that's one of my tips and tricks is something you can do. You don't want to have the home over-personalized anyway, because if they start seeing pictures of people they know, they put two and two together and they're not thinking about your house and themselves in the house. Right. They're thinking about, oh, I know so-and-so from baseball. Oh, yep. I don't know about that. And I then all of a sudden, it's not about a clean slate, them managing themselves in your house and selling it. It becomes too personal. Right, exactly. You need to... It, it needs to be, like you said, you want them to see themselves the in the house. Yeah. And when you see yourself in the house, then you start to make a connection with somebody. Yes. And then when as salespeople, that's what we focus on, right, is how do we make sales? Building rapport, mm-hmm. building connection with people. You want uh, buyers to build a connection with your home. Right. Whether it just be, you know... Materially or emotionally, you know, yes. like, oh my goodness, they can I see really themselves. love this space. It's right. so warm. I can, you know, I can do this over here. I'll put my chair there. We can build this over here. Great. Now you're actually making a plan for this space. Once you've got that, then you have an actual, a good candidate that may actually put in an offer on your house. And they can do that easily, folks, when you have a neutral palette, as one as much can, mm-hmm. you know, neutral paint, neutral. Again, if that's not what's going on in your house, uh, again, folks like Josh and I, sales professionals will come and we will speak to you about all this during the pre-listing process to pick and choose because not everything you're going to put in are you going to get out in the sale of the home. That's a number one. But if there's something really obnoxious about the green lime green shag carpet and we know we can do better, that might be something that we say that's really going to polarize things or it's not going to set well. It's not going to make it look clean and fresh. These are the things that we're going to recommend. You don't have to do them all, but you have to be prepared to suffer the consequences when you don't. Sure. If you've got pets and I'm a pet owner and we all love our pets. Yep. We shouldn't know that they're there. We shouldn't smell them. We shouldn't see them. Which is tough. Sometimes. Which is tough. But for the love of God, if the first thing that I walk into a house and I see steps with a mound of dog hair or cat hair up the middle and it doesn't look like it's been vacuumed in 10 years, I'm not the only person that saw it. Anybody else that walks in and sees that and immediately it brings down the quality and condition of your home. So you've got to be really good about those things. We all love our pets, but people love their own pets, not necessarily other people's pets. This is true, yeah. (laughs) And so maybe, you know, there's a machine called an ozone machine. Love it. Yeah, Gavin knows, right? (laughs) Gavin knows what an ozone machine is. I do. Ozone produces O3. O3 oxidizes to um, odors into O2. O2 is oxygen. And so while you can't run this machine in your house while people are there, Prior to the listing, it may be beneficial to you know purchase one of these machines. It's really affordable. I think they're like sixty or seventy dollars, and run these machines through your house yeah. before letting you know before you let the masses come through. That's right. And it chemically oxidates the these smells. And so for under a hundred dollars, you could really 
actually eliminate, not mask, actually eliminate the smells of pets. And so maybe that's worth it. You should... Or cigarette smoke or just, um, you know... And it's any odors, right? It's not not pet odors. Right. Just kind of, you know, kind of like a musty smell, something that's been... Maybe your house doesn't get a lot of natural sunlight. So sometimes, you know, we don't smell it because we live in there all the time, but somebody else coming in from the outside is going to pick up on that. And the opposite is true. Don't try to mask everything. Right. Don't go nuts with the plugins. Don't go nuts with the candles. That was one of the comments I just went on a show and you were like, whoa, the air fresheners. What are they trying to mask? And so, uh, you know, you got to let it breathe literally. But those are things like that. So not over-personalizing, getting rid of the clutter. I always tell my sellers the garage and the closets are fair game. You yeah. need to be able to open them. So don't stuff everything in the closet that you open it up and everything falls on top of the buyer and the buyer's agent. Right. Same with the garage. They should be able to get into the garage to inspect it, to look at it. But we, they have to understand when that listing says owner-occupied, and as I tell my sellers all the time and I tell my buyers when we're looking at homes that are owner-occupied, this is not a museum. However, put yourselves in their shoes. they got to put their stuff somewhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They got to put somewhere. They're right? in the process. They're right. not going to move. They're not moving until the place is sold, typically. Yeah. Right? Because they're putting themselves out in a limb. Now, I know some people have the means and the budget to get the pod, to get the self storage. And fortunately, some of those people already have a house to go or they've already closed on it and they can start right. moving that stuff or they have a family member. But put yourself in their shoes. Not everybody does. So, you know, we, we walk through that with buyers when we have an owner occupied home. But sellers, you've got to get rid of the clutter. They want to see surfaces. They want to see the the hard quartz countertop. They yeah. want to see the condition of the wood. They they want to be able to see baseboards and, and, and have access to all the mechanicals and things like that. So that's what we mean by decluttering. Yeah. We don't mean move out. Nope. Declutter, deodorize, depersonalize, uh, make a clean slate, as you were saying, yeah. from your home. Those are good steps to prepping your home for sale. One thing I want to say about staging. Now, if you do have to happen to have a home where you moved out... Or it's a vacant home, maybe you're a flipper or you've inherited a home or something. Some light staging can be helpful to buyers and for presentation's sake because not everybody has vision. So when I say light staging, maybe you put the couch in the living room with a coffee table and lamp, especially when there are no overhead lamps in so many of these older houses that we see. Uh, Maybe you do put that inviting vase of fresh flowers on the countertop for the open house. Maybe you do have fresh white towels hanging in the bathroom, even if it's not occupied. I have a list of things that I give my sellers to be photo ready and for staging. I'm sure Josh Josh has his tips too. These are the things we're talking about. We're not saying move out if you've not. We're just saying declutter, clean it out. Look at the photos that we share with you at the time of the CMA, of the comparative market of analysis. Look at the ones that resonate with you. The ones where you went, ooh, why did they have all that stuff in there? Turn around and look in the mirror. Make sure you're not doing the same thing. Speaking of mirrors, the mirror pictures. <laughs> Please clean stand, them. Oh, God. With mirror pictures with people standing in them with their phone. Don't do that. That's not yeah. a thing. No, no, no pets and no people can be in the photos as well. So, you know, preparing that. We talked a lot about the inside, Josh. I know you had been talking about the inside. You were telling me we had looked, we just showed the same house not too long ago. Yeah. And one of the things you said that would have so benefited the exterior of this house would have been power washing. Oh, my God. I, when I walked up to that house, I knew exactly what you meant. Yeah, and so it would have it would have sung. Yeah, and I think so. It's a so white, simple. It's a white house, right? Yeah. So white is easy to make is easy to look dingy. Yeah, and and a lot or of or look great. Yeah, exactly. And if you red don't, geranium every time after a power wash house, 
soul. If you have tr- <laughs> if you have trees near your home, trees let pollen down, yes. trees let dirt down, and those get on your house and they stick to your house because siding is textured. And so yep. it rains, it dries, it rains, it dries, it rains, it dries. And so those things then just crust on the house. And so really, I mean, power washing ranges in prices based on square footage and surface area. But, you know, for 500 bucks, you can give your house a new look. Oh, my God. It's so cost even, effective. Maybe even get your roof soft wash, too. Because, Love that idea, too. Because moss on your roof is uninviting, and it makes a roof. It ages a roof. Your Big roof time. may not look, may not be old, but if you have moss on that roof, not only is it actually damaging the asphalt shingles, but it's making it look much older than it needs to. And people, it sticks out like a sore, th- a sore thumb to the uninformed eye. Mm-hmm. To, the, to the non-professional goes, oh, my God, what's wrong with the roof. There might not be a darn thing wrong with the roof, There's but it doesn't look good. House. doesn't look good. And on power washing, nothing better than power washing your pavement, your uh, patio, things like that. It's just such a simple fix that brightens everything. Put the pot of flowers. I My go-to is a red geranium and yeah. a crisp American flag. Put that baby out there and it's going to look great. But everyone, you know, every agent's going to have some tips and tricks on that too. But, you know, it depends on what kind of a gardener you are but the lawn should be kept yeah, it should be lawn. mowed weeded new mulch at the very least remove, and pe- remove pet waste yes oh please thank you can you tell us more about that just yeah it's simple you know <laughs> keep your pets cleaned up after because people do like to explore you know if you have a yard and land and property people like to explore that and they want to see what it's all about they don't want to walk into a bomb People don't want to discover and explore what your pet has left behind. (laughs) They don't want to concentrate on that. They don't want that that. type of surprise. Exactly. So that's important. You know, decking and things like that. If you've got peeling paint on decking. And again, we can go on and on. And I think we've hit the point here. But it's interior and it's exterior. There are a number of things you can do cost effectively and simply up to a range of redoing kitchens and things like that. And we can talk to you all about that. But bottom line, don't just think you're putting the for sale sign up there. If you do that and you don't pick up a finger, expect to pay the consequences. And so one thing I kind of drive home with sellers is when we're looking to, you know, a common question is what do I repair? And what I look at is safety, code, and appearance, right? Yep. So safety code and and uh, um, appearance. So you, you address those things, right? That's not saying you have to repaint your old house, your whole house, right? But what I am saying is, is if you have an ex- exposed electrical connection, yeah. you need to take care of that. Everyone can see it. If you have a rickety railing, you you probably should take care of that. We if the re- refrigerator is humming, we should secure those. We should take care of those. Broken know. window. Yep. Flaky paint. And those are all things that will nail you on, depending on what you're accepting for financing. Yeah, and but we'll those, dive into that later, too. But those are the important things. Those are the important things because those are the things that are going to cost the next person money. And those are the things that people are going to discover, going to discover in a home inspection if they choose to do one. And then those are the things that people are going to use as negotiating tactics to say, right. look, these are issues it, you know, and I'm not talking about paint. I'm talking about your railing is falling. Safety. Off. Your railing is falling off your deck. It needs to be redone. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we're not going to give the person the money to buy this house. Either you can fix it or I can fix it, but this is my, this is what I'm willing to do. Yeah, I agree. And I think when you do those things up front and you, and you plan mining mindfully, I think, you know, we're all under different time crunches depending on what the motivation of the sale of the home is. But if you put that time in up front, your house is going to sell for better price and easier and faster. And at the end of the day, it's all about time is money. And so, you know, someone's incurring the cost of utilities, insurance, et cetera, in the life of that home. So do those things up front, listen to your agent, and then you're going to have a smoother go of it. So speaking of which, and I think we're going to keep number one for our last one, because I think it's the most important, Josh, but let's go to our next one. Hire a real estate agent. It's important. Why is it important, Josh? (laughs) (laughs) It's important to hire somebody who knows your area because they're going to be more in tune with what houses are going for. Um, And I know this firsthand as well. You know, on a listing, someone says, well, I think I'm thinking about listing it here. And, but your home isn't, aren't those homes, you know, sometimes homes are built exactly the same in a neighborhood, but sometimes they are not. Correct. And so you, you may be comparing your home sale to a five bedroom, but your home is only a three bedroom. (laughs) That's a big difference. Uh, So-and-so down the street sold for this. Why can't I get that for mine? You know, bedrooms, square footage, yard size, features, finishes. um, And probably your real estate agent, depending, you know, if they're, if they are the, expert in that neighborhood, in that market, they've likely seen all these comparatives in person too. Yes. And they can say, well, let me tell you about that. I showed that house and this is what was great about it, but this is how yours is superior and vice versa. Yeah. And so so they're more in tune. They're more in tune with those because they see it every day. You do, you know, you as a customer, you as a client, you do things that I don't see every day. And I would ask you about those things. If you're a welder, I'm not going to (laughs) say, well, let me tell you about that weld. And you're like, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're looking at. That's actually the industry standard of how you do it. Yes. You know, so let me tell you about the industry standards in real estate and and what they mean and how that reflects in things like pricing and getting the most or getting the right price for your property. Let me help you with that. Exactly. And I think, you know, I think it's important to note that there are three people that are qualified and are legally able to sell a home. Our, Our licensees, our licensed sales professionals attorneys because they essentially have that right through their credentials to do so and the seller themselves you can sell your own home you can do that have at it Um, some people have been successful with that but at the end of the day what josh is saying is the market knowledge when did you buy your house you know maybe you know everything about that market then but if it's been 10 15 20 years later are you astute do you know everything about what's going on in the market do you have the connections do you have the marketing capacity do you have the reach Um, sometimes these um, sales are not easy sales. They can be a great home if we're talking residential, but there might be something polarizing like, hey, there's some great bedroom space upstairs, but the only full bath in the entire house is downstairs. So how are you going to, as the owner itself, market that home and convince people that, you know, are you going to be able to look at the data? Are you going to be able to look at past sales? Are you going to be able to have a network of people and other professionals that you're going to call to come and get that house sold? No, that's why you hire a real estate professional. And you can and let's not sure av- you can. Let's not avoid that. You know, let, it, this isn't top secret information. This no. is all actually public information, and you can do that. But real estate agents have 
an aggregation of tools that allow them to easily do that job yes. so that you don't have to reinvent that wheel. Yes. Yes, we do get compensated for that, but yes, we earn it. We are going to, you know, we're going to do that for you. We're we gonna earn pull- it. And we also have, we know the tricks of the trade. Do you know all the forms that you have to complete in New York State to properly transfer property? Um, it depends on county. It depends on area. Uh, do you know how to negotiate with the buyers? Are you going to be a great communicator between the lender, uh, two attorneys, and the teams that Josh and I always talk about? Yeah. Are you going to be dedicated to picking up the phone 24-7 to deal with that negotiation transaction? Or... Would you rather have somebody do that heavy lifting for you so while you get on with the rest of your life? Because presumably if you're selling a home, you've got other things going on. Right. And I know we talk a lot about the scenario of an individual overpricing their home or thinking that they're going to get so much for their home. But I think it's worth touching on too is under underpricing your home. Absolutely. Because people's concepts of money are different. And so they yes, say, they are. you know, people lead different lifestyles. They come from different backgrounds. And they say, well, man, if I got $150,000, I'd be tickled. You know, and it's like, sir, madam, do you know that your house is worth $250,000? You're going to be leaving money on the table, so it's well worth getting that commission in there to, to leverage that so and you so, net higher. And so while you think you've done well, you could have done way better. And I understand the attitude of, well, you know, I didn't need all I didn't need all that. And it's like, and no one And I sold it to someone I liked, or I sold it to my niece, or I sold it to my neighbor. Understood, okay. but everybody should be compensated fairly for the assets they have. Let us help you with that. Yeah, I so agree with you, you know, I think that's worth worth mentioning too. Is that you need to be getting what is what is fair? Yeah. Well, you know. Right. And are you going to put it out there? Are you paying for the ads in the penny saver? Are you going on social media? Does it go viral through Zillow and all that? Now, yes, as a someone selling yourself, you actually can listen Zillow and you can do that. But is it reaching all of the wide range of markets and viable buyers out there? If you're doing it on your own, I'm going to say no. Um, so that's why I think it's well worth to consult your real estate professional and work with them. Absolutely. They're well worth. They earn every penny of the commission. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> <laughs> right, Gav? We just we know. Do. We just know. When we work very hard for our clients, um, we, we take listings that we believe in. And sometimes we have really creative listings. I seem to specialize in that at times. And it's about creating. That's a really, that's a really nice way of saying Thank that. Thank you. you got it. Um, <laughs> and it's, I like the challenge. I do like a challenge. And I do like to come up with the possibilities. But I think this leads us into another point we have that's so important as a seller to be flexible. It absolutely is because when we go on listing appointments, you know, what we're having is we're not we're not only we're not always telling you it's not always us telling you. It's us having a conversation with the sellers. Yeah. It's like, okay, well what you know, what are your ideas? What do you think? What are your thoughts? How do you feel? Okay, let's uh, take all those feelings. Let's you know, let's validate them. Those are all real things, and then let's turn them into data, right? Because that's yeah. what we also look at as, yeah. as agents is the data. Yeah. We look at historical data. We compare your home to other homes, and then we see where it sits in line. And so sometimes what we say to you isn't always what you want to hear, and so we have. <laughs> but to it's be, the truth. It is the truth, and we have to be really. Um, you know, cognizant of the information that we're delivering to someone because although it may be true, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. So we really do want to have an earnest conversation with our sellers and come to an agreement, you know, because in the end, 
the seller sets the price, right? We do what we're told. You're the boss. Absolutely. Now we present a range. I know that Josh goes about this the same way and I do with my sellers. Mm -hmm. And we've discussed this before on um, previous episodes, but at the end of the day, it's the seller that determines the price. But if you have nothing to substantiate it, we've gone through the comps, we've gone through everything. There are times when maybe you're working with a real estate agent and if you're way off base, I, you know, it's a hard lesson to learn because of course you want the listing, you want to be helpful, you want the business, but sometimes there's an opportunity where you have to say, I have to walk away or we have to, we can try your price, but if that doesn't work out in 10 days to 30 days or whatever that integer is, then we need to go this way. And you have to be responsive to that. That's why a lot of times when I feel that a range is presented in terms of list price, um, you know, and also during that time, Again, where they like, well, I don't really feel like putting any more money into this. Okay, so are you then, so then are you saying you're only doing cash and conventional for financing? Correct. Or, so it's, this is what we're talking about with flexibility, folks. It's not just the price. It's also about what are you going to do to reap the most amount of buyers. And if you do accept an FHA offer or, or a federally backed program wherein they're going to do a very stringent appraisal, you accepted it. And if they come back with appraisal repairs that need to be done and you're going to say, I'm not doing it, we're going to kill the deal, you've got to know about all that up front. So being the most flexible you can be with your price and with your terms is really important. And you got to be willing to negotiate. Or be prepared for the, the buyer to say, okay, I can make those repairs. We'll do them after closing. We'll hold this much in escrow, and we're going to decrease the sales price by this much. Right. And then you're like, well, well, well wait a minute. I want my cake and eat it too. No. Well, we're not in that market anymore, people. Yeah, not happening. We're just not. And so I think that's really important. You know, the other thing that you need to do is and think about as well is, okay, so I my realtor told me I should have it immaculate and I should do these repairs. And I, I, I tossed the dice and I didn't do it. Okay. So first week on the market and you only get a handful of showings, if any, and no offers, if you did delay negotiations, right. and we have that deadline and no one came in, listen to the feedback. You better autocorrect quickly. I mean, don't get nuts. I tell sellers too, sometimes buyers now are so exhausted by that strategy that they'll wait for delayed negotiations to see if something comes and goes. And if it doesn't succeed in a sale by that point, they might come in later and you might still get just the same amount of money. Well, people are, you know, someone I would say that probably employs that strategy is someone who doesn't have enough, have a lot of buying power and is already at the, you know, upper upper echelon of their, of their budget and, you know, say, okay, Hey, I'm willing to be patient, but we can employ this strategy and say, Hey, if it doesn't sell, if it does sell, I'm okay with it. If it doesn't, then let's go explore that possibility. Right. right exactly. Um, other things that we mean by flexibility when you're setting up the marketing plan and the showing plan, are you doing private showings only? Are you doing an open house? You have to put yourself, what do we always say? Buyers have to think like sellers and sellers have to think like buyers. A lot of people can't come view your home until um, after business hours because they are working or they have to come on the weekend or they want to come back for a second showing because they want to bring their father. Um, If those are all viable buyers that are going to result in a successful sale for you, we got to be a little flexible. We know sellers that it's a big impact on your life. You're removing your your family, your your pets. You, you've shoved everything in the closet. And you have to leave five times a day. We get it, but that's why up front, working with a real estate professional to do these showings. Another reason why you you hire one right. is to talk through how that's going to look and feel for you midst the listing through the active marketing process of showings. If I can make a generalization, I'd say for the first four weeks after you list your 
your home, it's probably going to be a bit inconvenient and uncomfortable. Yep. Because what comes after showings? Well, con- after an offer accepted. Contracts. And then you have to, and then you're just executing the contract. But home inspections, you're going to have to leave again. Yeah. Appraisal, you're going to have to leave again. So there's things like, there's some coming and going with that. And, and remember, it's not game over once, oh, okay, hallelujah, we got the offer accepted. Goodbye. Let's go back to being pigs here. No. Right. <laughs> Keep the house in the condition it is through the appraisal at the very least. Then. Don't break anything. Right. Don't. Can we, we can all kind of breathe a sigh of relief to an extent. It ain't over till it's over. But once we get commitment, that first 30 days typically in a transaction in our area, then you can start actively getting packed up, get moved and do those things. People understand to the extent that they understand we can explain these things. But again, you got to be flexible with your terms, with your price, with the way this is going to roll out if you want to end in a successful transaction closing. Right. Absolutely. And I think that kind of summarizes being flexible and what, what sellers should be doing. And I think we've kind of already rolled in to the emotional uh, emo- emotionality that's involved yes. with, with selling a home. It can take a toll. Yeah. So let's just do the first four weeks, right? Until <laughs> we even get under, until we're getting under contract, it's like, we think we're coming on offer. There's no offer. There's an offer. There's no offer. People are telling they stories. They said five, five offers are coming in. None came in. None came in. And that's yeah. what I'm experiencing too, Josh. Let's drill into that a little bit. That is an emotional thing because we are updating you on the progress of the feedback we're getting along the way. You know, we're asking our fellow agents who have shown the home if they're writing an offer. So your seller wants to know how many offers you're expecting. And we've had 15 showings and we've been told there's going to be five offers coming in. And here comes the deadline and we get... One. Yeah. It only takes one good one, but sometimes sellers are disappointed by that. You know what? That's kind of the sign in this market of a balancing market. We are far from balanced, right. but I think that's a signal of there's a lot of looky loos out there. That's true, and there's a lot of people that after seeing the home, they come to the conclusion that. Oh, you know, this isn't what I thought, but at least it's the screening process up front. And if we drill down to that really one solid buyer that results in an awesome offer. You should be thrilled. It only takes one. It only takes one. It takes one good one. Yep. And if that's not your offer at the end of the delayed negotiations and someone came in with a low ball and it wasn't it, great. You don't have to accept that. But then let's reflect on the feedback that we've received. But also, if you if you did go through delayed negotiations, you had much traffic on, on the listing and you didn't result in offers and you only resulted in this, in this lower offer, um, there's information to be had from that. You can infer things. Why didn't other, other people you know, submit offers. Was it, you know, what was it? Was it the price? Was it the location? Was it the condition? Yeah. Which one of those things didn't satisfy them? And why didn't they put in offers? Because the traffic was there. Right. And exactly. So we, it was marketed appropriately. We, we produced the, we produced the traffic and you did an excellent job seller of accommodating all of those showings. Absolutely. That's a huge this, feat. Through this chaotic time. Um, but it just didn't, check these people's boxes uh, for one reason or the other, and that's part of the feedback. And so we do have to listen to that feedback, as you said, Gavin, and we need to adjust accordingly. So maybe that one offer that came in that's what the market is saying. Yep. Listen to the market. Don't kill the messenger. And if you didn't do all the other things that we said prior, <laughs> remember that you might pay the consequences. But again, also remember, typically your best offer is in the first two weeks of it being in the market. So pay attention. Maybe your list price was high. And maybe you could have gotten up there had you done all the things that you could have, should have, would have. You made the decision not to. So this is really where we should have listed. We did get this offer. You know, can we negotiate with it? Can we work with it? It was the brave person that went forward and said, yes, I'm going to do this. And if you do get if you do get multiple offers and they all are within the same, you know, says a lot. 
range, you, you know, you're probably not going to get the bidding war that you had expected. And so that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Because that's really stressful for the seller sometimes, too. Because yep. you need a lot of sort of guidance. And, well, what's that mean? And now what? And some sellers will straight up say, no escalation clauses. I don't want to deal with that nonsense. Yeah. Just, you know, I just want to know the, what their highest and best is. And I want to be able to negotiate in plain terms. And if I want to counter offer something, I will. Exactly. It's really up to the discretion and the, the choice of the seller, which comes back to a number one every single time. What sells a house? The price. Yeah. Well, I mean. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> the price. What's real? One of the most important things that you do as a seller that you need to do, you need to price it right. Well, yes, that's you know, and there are tons of strategies that we do to get people interested at a certain level, right? You know, and that's and there are levels, right? There's the sub one hundred. There's the one hundred plus, or one hundred to one one twenty five, one fifty. Where are people financed typically? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, first time home buyers maybe not having a lot of buying power. Yeah, you know. Secondary or um, second homes, or people buying their second homes. Maybe they've gone a little bit over in their career. They've gotten some promotions. They got a little bit more buying power. They're buying into the two hundreds. Yeah. You know, people. You know, further mm-hmm. on in their careers, maybe they're looking or own their own businesses. Not op- their first rodeo. Op- operating into you know the three hundreds. Right. Know. It's people buy at different ranges for different reasons. And through different means. Um, means. So a lot of times, you know, when we have that conversation and you might say, well, what's it, what's it to me as the seller when we care about pricing, we care about how that backs into financing options through the marketing plan. Well, if you know that you've got broken windows and peeling paint and a, and a bad, no handrail going down to the old basement, but you think you're going to be fully financeable. Right. Um, you have to think about, okay, I don't want to do any of these things. So then I'm really looking at cash and conventional only. Who are the people out there? They're not going to necessarily pay at the top of that range presented to you if it's cash and conventional only. Yeah. They're just, that's kind of the rule of thumb. So, you know, being the idea and the goal of being fully financeable, having a house that's in the condition that can withstand that stringent federally backed appraisal process for FHA, USDA, VA, um, those folks, because they know that those loan products have not been um, competitive in this market as yeah, buyers, they're sometimes willing to go up and above and really be the ones that are bidding and using escalation clauses to get in a house because they understand that their financing is challenging for the seller in some ways. And then when you do that, you run into a whole other host of problem of, of uh, hurdles. You run into a whole host of hurdles when you start overbidding a home, you know, and so appraisal and all that. Yeah, which we've touched on before. But so I guess I would summarize to say is you know being prepared for the motion toll of selling a home is yes for we do what you tell us to sellers, but at the end you know we have to be able to come to terms with the reactions to our actions. So when you tell us to do something, we will you know listen and do what we're told. We have obedience, um, but we do need to you know, tell you what might happen and you should be prepared for that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a couple of tips, you know, we've got some don'ts and some do's to kind of summarize things. Don't try to do everything yourself. Um, don't overprice your home. Yeah. Um, you know, you you can you can suffer the consequences of a price reduction. It's it's a bit more prevalent now, and it's it is what it is. If if we thought we had the target out there for that price, and you want to give it a try, and you suffer a price reduction, it's not the end of the world. But it's what's your time frame? So now we're adding more days to the transaction, et cetera. So right. you, you just don't want to go through that frustration and delay in selling your home if you can avoid it. Um, don't be afraid to negotiate. 
Um, don't take anything personally. You know, the feedback that you're going to get, a lot of times it's heartbreaking to have that conversation. Everybody that went through this house felt that it was priced high or too high. And there's like crickets on the other end <laughs> or when you're sitting with the sellers. Right. It's not the it's not the agents. It's the it's the buyers giving you their honest feedback. It's the market data, and we are the messengers. So that's really important. What's some other things that folks can do, Josh? Um, I mean, it's just like we've said: declutter and clean the home, top to bottom. Um, make sure you're staging your home. Hire the professional photographer. Work with an agent that's going to market it appropriately. I think it's yeah. I think it's more the small the small details, right? And we've kind of already you know gone over this and kind of you know what don't do, what what to do. Um, you know, I think it's really. But our last one is pricing. Pricing. Yeah, a number one. Like I said, it, I think it's the most important thing. Yeah. You've got to have that price right. You can do all these things, and you should do all these things. You'll 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 cherry pick. You might not do it to the vibrato of the highest end of what we're saying in terms of a renovation. Maybe it's small fixes, it's cleaning, it's decluttering. But at the end of the day, it's price, condition, location of a home that sells it. That price is critical. Well, and your price drives your audience. Your price drives your financing type. Your price drives sometimes even the terms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because when yeah. you start talking about you know your upper upper prices, okay, well, what else can we get in the terms? to make it worth worth that price. Absolutely. Um, otherwise, we're talking about a lower price. We're talking about a different price, right? And, so, and let the market determine it. Yeah. Price it right and they can determine it. The other thing I want to touch on, because I'm seeing more of it now in this changing market, is that you do have, for the first time in a long time, contingent offers being accepted or people are buying and selling at the same time. So here's here's a tip on that from what we've experienced so if you were fortunate to go under contract on a home that you're moving to, but you still need to sell your home and that other seller has, has accepted your offer, um, you don't dilly-dally, number one, and you better price the house you're selling competitively, not at the top of the range, because you are incumbent upon your house being sold and that transaction going as smoothly as it can to execute on the other end. Otherwise, you're going to risk losing that house. I see this a lot, and a lot of people are, I can say it till I'm blue in the face, and we have the conversation the next day, like, yep, I'm going to go 10 over what you told me. And I said, okay, it's a big risk. Right, yep, and I think so. And the other seller's going to see what you're doing. And I'm not an economist, but I'd say if the interest rates start to settle, continue to settle down as they have, you know, you may see the increased acceptance of contingent offers. And I would say a reason why people would not like to accept a contingent offer is because if I have to wait for you, that right. holds me up. Correct. And if interest rates are rising every you know 30 days or every 60 days, right. that means my interest rate changes. That's so right. So you not being able to do your job is affecting my family and my life. Yeah. So I'm not going to mess with that. That's right. I'm going with a different offer. I'm going either with a conventional offer, a non-contingent, a non-contingent offer. That's yeah, on it. the sale, non-contingent, right. the sale of another property. They're going to go the path of the least resistance. Put yes. yourself in their shoes. Least resistance, likely to close. And even when you have that perfect offer, there are things that happen, trust me. But I think it's really important for people that are increasingly buying and selling at the same time. And I do think we need to have a whole episode on that because we're seeing a bit more of it. And then buying and selling across state lines, that's even crazier. Um, But I think it's really important that, okay, you obtained the goal of getting under contract in your purchase. Don't screw it up now by not executing 
thoughtfully and appropriately in the sale of your home because they're moving pieces that work together. That seller has accepted a contingent offer. Somebody else can come in at any second without a contingent offer and bump you. Yeah. And that's what you have to be aware of. So it's got to be sold and sold quickly and priced appropriately. So think about that, guys, too. Absolutely. So really, I mean, that's all I have to say about, you know, what to do and what don't to do. Yeah. You know, it's fairly simple. Um, sellers should just listen, you know, listen, carefully, listen carefully, <coughs> examine what, we, you know, what we're telling them yep. and then analyze it and go forth. It can be know? an absolutely great experience. Um, when it's thought out, when it's mindful, when we've thought through and we've talked through when you're working with a sales professional, anything that could happen. And even when we do something else might happen that we didn't think of, Yeah, but important that you're working with a person that's going to guide you through that. So you just got to be prepared. And if you follow these tips that we've talked about today, that's a really good guide to get you in motion to have a, a successful and smooth sale. Yeah, I think it's going to go a lot smoother than if you just went through it haphazardly and didn't have these conversations. Yeah. Um, because when you don't, when something comes up and you and it's unexpected, that's when things start to go awry, you yep. know, and people start to get angry. Exactly. We don't. We want to avoid it to every extent that we can. Absolutely. Well, that's all we have for today in this episode. Uh, make sure that you get a hold of us on our social media channels. Uh, what is it? Get Real Pod- Get Real Estate, Estate Podcast. Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Yes. And then the Get Real Estate Podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us a line. Give us some feedback. We'd love to have a five-star review from you guys. Please, please, please. Please subscribe. <laughs> please listen. so we can. And we'd love to know what our audience's questions are. So it helps us develop content, free content that's helpful to you. Um, so give us a line. Give us a call. If you want to be on the show sometime with your experience, we'd love to have you. We would absolutely love to have you. Until then, see you later, guys. Keeping it real. Thank you for tuning in with us today. We hope to see you next time. We're going to be doing this a lot more, so to be sure to leave us a review and a rating as it lets us reach more people and lets us know how we're doing. We hope you're doing well. Cheers until next time.